0: Five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglash for the WDMA. Bringing interesting things to you today about mail and digital. We'll see. We'll see what it's about. So first, um, this is from from Steve. Let's go over here. And um, Steve Falk and he... he pointed this out on LinkedIn that that Barbie uh, had her own post office, okay? She had mail trays. Oops, she had mail trays. <clears throat> she had a uh, mail window and, you know, uh, I forget what that's called, where the mail slots where you put the mail in. She had a mailbox that could go out on the street. And so she was all set to be a legitimate post office and uh, you know I've seen post offices that weren't much bigger than that <laughs> Steve says the Barbie movie reminding us of what was and still is important and yes she had a post office and love stamps and direct mail and I'm guessing she would has a soft spot for fashionable clothes catalogs For fashionable clothes catalogs yes of course Doesn't she love looking at catalogs, right? Isn't that something? And so Steve brought us that. And Steve's a supporter of the WDMA, so thank you for that. Okay, here's an interesting, this is, uh, unfortunately, they didn't put up the the transcript. Uh, This is from Campaigns and Elections. It says, Bridging the Gap, Harnessing the Power of Direct Mail in the Digital Age. And uh, right off the bat, uh, what I listened to, and I did listen to the whole thing. It's an hour-long discussion of mail uh, and its power in political campaigning and fundra- political fundraising. And they started off by saying that between 2018 and and now, mail has increased about 30 to 40 percent uh, in its use in political campaigns, which is just staggering, right? Uh, and I know they get a they get a better deal, but still um it's amazing that they're they're in large part moving money from away from uh away from digital and into mail and part of it is you know the the mail in ballots have proven that uh, you can swing elections <laughs> with the mail <laughs> take that any way you like um unfortunately this article is not an article, it's only a little teeny one, it says, the shifting political landscape has led to growing trend and interest in leveraging direct mail as a powerful tool to enhance digital political advertising outreach as campaigns face new and evolving challenges on digital advertising channels, including targeting limitations and rising costs to ensure impact as well as increased skepticism among voters Political constraints are, uh, or consultants are using new avenues to optimize their, pol- their campaign performance. In a recent webinar sponsored by the United States Postal Service, note, <laughs> a panel of political consultants discussed the resurgence of direct mail in political campaigns, as well as the pivotal role it has within the media mix, and explored how political campaigns can effectively harness voter trust in direct mail. To reinforcing messages on other political advertising channels. Okay, and then there was another um, unrelated story in uh, by Robert Williams, and he was this, but this was political, so I stuck it in here. Um, he said sentiment toward AI in marketing differs by political party, and uh, and the question that was asked was, do you think that AI in marketing will improve or or deteriorate marketing quality or whatever content marketing content targeting and the republicans this is the republicans they said it'll make it worse dramatically so the independents said it'll make it worse somewhat so they never they should just cut these off they should they shouldn't go to zero it makes it it makes it less persuasive read how to robert williams you should read how to lie with statistics it's a short book it will help your graphs this this one of the reasons i don't pay for the premium is because the graphs aren't very good um but uh the democrats think yes definitely ai will definitely make advertising better which i think is funny anyway so maybe the democrats won't use mail as much maybe the gop and the independence the independence campaign not really Uh, Okay, so here's the article I want to get to. This is by Eric um, Koenig up in Minneapolis. And he's the president and chief strategist at SQL Response. uh, How to overcome signal loss in digital marketing campaigns. And he doesn't mean campaigns like the previous article. But it's a good article. (laughs) They always... They're not they're not uh, financially supporting the WDMA. I think they should, Eric. You should, but uh, they do have a lot of good content up there at SQL. So starts off with the situation, right? Digital advertising has undergone significant changes. Google pays paid search strategies, Facebook look like conversions and cookie retargeting. Um, but in less than three years, that's changed partly because of Apple's app tracking, where they basically said you can turn off your third-party cookie tracking. And third-party cookies, so if I have a website, I may not even know. I, I, I Long ago, I looked up on the WDMA.org to see what it had for cookies, and it turned out it had three or four. I hadn't set them up. Uh, but I, but it's, a, it's a WordPress website, and some of the WordPress apps that I got for free and was using put their own cookie on visitors. It wasn't anything malicious. It was just something to follow you around with. And so uh, and so those cookies then could gather data on visitors to WDMA.org. I think I've turned them off, but, you know, every time you load another app or it updates, you never know. Which is part of the point of third party, is that they're sort of lurking, and even the website owner probably doesn't know all the third party cookies that are lurking on their own website. How crazy is that, right? And so uh, they follow they follow visitors around. Um, first party cookies aren't going away. So if I wanted to have, you know, like if I had a Google tracking cookie, that uh, I got from Google Analytics and put it on WDMA.org. That would be a first-party cookie. And now once you go to another site, then it becomes a third-party cookie. Well, I guess it's a third-party since it's from Google. But I might give Google permission to track it to myself. It's not not as simple as I thought. I need some feedback here. We need some chat on this one. Okay, so my understanding is first-party cookies are cookies related to the site and maybe... Maybe uh, part of, you know, like if I go to ESPN, it logs me in, okay? I don't have to type in my password every time. And WDMA used to be a logged in site that you had to log in on. You don't have to now. You can uh, to to uh, to get to the show notes every day that are up there. You log in and get into the members only area. But WDMA used to be a completely locked site and um, and we would give you a cookie for that and when you came back you would just be logged in and you didn't have to put in your password and that was a first party cookie I'm sure of that there was a point to it on the site and it made it convenient for everybody the third party ones follow you around but there is some question because nobody writes cookies anymore so if I authorize someone to put a cookie on my site to facilitate financial transactions or other things is that a third party or a second party or a first party i'm not sure but anyway apple started blocking the cookies and so so diving into 2024 they're supposedly going to eliminate the third party cookies and that's important it's important to remember that cookies aren't going away you can still track your own website visitors and you can still give people, you know, the ability to remember the site and remember their password and log them in seamlessly. Okay? But what it what it diminishes the signal loss that's being lost that Eric's talking about is that we can't correlate the visitors to our site with with when they visit competitor sites or when they visit Uh, shopping sites or when they visit sports sites or whatever they whatever you're interested in we can't track that and because of that uh, it's leading to the diminishing strength of pixel fires I'm not sure what this pixel fires is mine aren't on fire uh, on important signals or data points such as purchase events. So a third-party cookie could tell that I went to Landsend and bought something or I'd tell that I went to eBay. I don't know if they could tell if I bought something, but they could tell I went to eBay. They could track it around where I was shopping, even if they couldn't tell if I was shopping, I don't think. Again, would love to have a digital marketing expert tell me the, the, the benefit, the depth of the benefit of third-party cookies. Uh, anyway their benefit is being reduced because your browser now says, oh, that's not a, a cookie related to eBay.com. I mean you were on WDMA, you got a cookie there so you could log in. Now you're on eBay. Okay? We're not gonna recognize the WDMA.org. We're gonna block that. We're also gonna block Akamai, who was following you. That's the that's a real third party that was tracking you wherever you went. So anyway um the point is is that all that ability to knot everything together about you about where you go is being lost now there's a secondary question which is does that does that sort of thing make any sense anyway when i look at my browsing history and i say to myself now what is that what kind of a person would browse all of these different different websites what would that tell you about them how could you sort through that and um that's still an open question to me i know from decades of experience in in uh, machine learning and predictive modeling and that's a euphemism but we'll still use it uh, that even purchase history is very difficult to apply so if you have, unless you create specific variables for a question you're trying to, you're trying to solve. Um, you know, we we built variables for Hummer or Schlemmer related to COVID. We said, you know, is the recent change in unemployment an indicator, a positive or negative indicator of a person's likelihood to buy? Okay, and um, it turned out it wasn't. It turned out that often the places that had much higher unemployment were the places that had at least full employment previously. Okay, so the suburbs couldn't hire people before COVID, and all of a sudden they had they had some unemployment, they had some they had some uh, job loss, and that in, that translated to a very large increase in unemployment because it went from zero to something, which is an infinite increase wasn't exactly zero Um, what we did find though was that areas of persistent unemployment areas that had relatively high unemployment before COVID you know that that was like boom times 2019 and so if they had unemployment then then they were sort of persistently economically depressed and though and that variable actually did work but very very difficult to get geodemographics to work we created those specifically for a question that we had whether the new customers that were flooding hammock or Shlemmer in covid were consistent with the previous customers and you can't answer that by by looking at spending patterns because they only had placed their first order or two uh but anyway even when you're trying to predict when you're trying to predict buyer behavior you know especially in a gift oriented catalog what they buy is you know that they bought is more relevant than what they bought even though you'd you'd swear you could make you could make sense out of all that in-depth first party data or some people call it buying data they call zero party data <laughs> cuz it's something that the consumer directly gives you you don't even you're not even acquiring it behind the scenes like the wdma cookie that lets you log in you're actually they're giving you your name their name and address and their and their, uh, and their requested product and their payment information and all that stuff. Totally voluntary transaction. Okay, so anyway, so digital is getting more expensive, okay? And uh, therefore, personalization, lookalike modeling and audience targeting and retargeting are getting difficult and especially attribution, okay? Especially attribution. Although attribution never really worked very well for it direct mail because we would drive traffic to the website it would get a cookie there a tracking cookie first party cookie maybe <laughs> and then you know they'd look around and then you know they'd set the catalog aside a couple days later or weeks later even they'd pick it up again and then they make maybe go back to the website and place their order that's what i did when i ordered my belt from Land's End. okay and uh, who gets credit well of course the website the website generated that because unless there's a You know, QR code on the catalog, or some other, or some other tracking device. In fact, uh, the catalog had a code on it for 40% off. Right? Catalog had a code. Now I got, I got a couple of Lands Ends here, but they're both. I think they're both business. Yeah, business. I'm getting business. And on the back it says 25% off Lands End products. And usually it says put in this promotion code but I don't see the promotion code anyway but on the consumer one they had the promotion code and when I got on there it gave me 50% off if I used a different promotion code maybe that's the website the digital people wanting to get credit 100% of the credit even though I was mailed a catalog and that's why I came to the site so attribution is difficult anyway when you use especially when you use offline uh, information but Deloitte Touche says uh, it's gonna cost marketers a lot in effectiveness and in actual uh, return on investment with the cookies going away. So now what do we do, right? Okay, you can optimize your first party data capabilities. You can build a customer data platform, which is essentially what we've been building for the last almost 30 years. Um, We built one for the Hudson Bay in 1994 where we consolidated the transaction information and and, uh, built a customer profile uh, by what they had bought, uh, and combined both Zeller's and The Bay, which they had never done before on any other platform. They had two ES9000s, which were the biggest mainframes that IBM offered, and we did it on a little NCR PC. They were amazed. They didn't think it was possible, but it was. Okay, all data is not lost. So let's return to offline data. The best way to target and identify, this is really true, is by matching an individual's name to a mailing address. See, a mailing address doesn't move around, right? And so we can match back. You say, well, we don't know the customer journey necessarily. Without the third-party data, it's really hard. And Google admitted years ago that they couldn't really track the customer journey. They could see the first where they first showed up digital when they go to your website for example and they could see when they purchased the last time the last click they could see those but they didn't know what they were doing in between and you know they could they couldn't tell which competitors they were going to or they couldn't tell if they were if they were if they were had subscribed to Consumer Reports or they went on YouTube and watched a video that had nothing to do with with your website but did you know give reviews of you know the Samsung galaxy phone or something like that you don't know those inputs that a customer can do or go to the library and grab consumer reports you don't know any of that stuff and google admitted it right but even in that crazy world right even in that crazy world even in that world where the digital guys snuck me into their into their tracking code on the Land's End website when I came because they offered me a better deal than the catalog offered me. Even though the catalog was the one I actually put that code in first and then I saw the offer for a better deal and then I put it in again, a different code. And then I put it in my shopping cart and came back a couple days later and they said well this is expired and all of a sudden the order doubled in price. <laughs> but. When I cleared out my shopping cart, then the digital guys gave me another code, which was the same as the prior code, and so they completely wiped out all the tracking, pretty much, except what the first-party cookies gave them, but they certainly eliminated the idea that I would ever have come there because of a catalog, except, here's the important part, this is what Eric's getting at, except they had my address, and they knew they mailed me catalogs, and they knew they got an order from that place that they sent me a catalog and so they could match back my name now sometimes I ship it to my office because the Postal Service has trouble with my address and so do most catalogers anyway so offline data can be more reliable when associated with online labr- libraries and third-party segments because it's anchored to an individual's name and physical address. If we only had that from this article, this, would be, this is gold mine, right? Past spending behavior equals accurate for future purchase predictions. Well, sort of. Only if you have a, a good theory on how it works. And I could get into that in a lot more detail. Offline sales are expected to account for 71% of all retail sales. You know And some of our clients have used credit card information. So a customer that lives at three different houses, you know in uh, they have a, a a summer home in Wisconsin. They have a uh, they have a winter home in Florida and maybe they have a lake home in Wisconsin too, right for the summer. and and they may go to all three and they may shop at different stores at each one. And we had that actually that case happen in our customer data set for uh, LoveSack. Um, but because the credit card information was consistent, we could consolidate those three addresses. Why would we consolidate those three addresses? The reason is because a three-time buyer, if they bought once at each location and shipped it to each house, it looks like three one-time buyers. Now, when you're deciding who's worth remarketing to, we're going to spend a buck fifty or something sending them a catalog. Is it worth it to go to the one-time buyers who maybe haven't bought in three years? Maybe not. It's getting a little iffy, right? Okay, but if you have a three-time buyer, but they're at different addresses. I know that's why it's, it's tricky, <laughs> and that's why a lot of companies are going to third-party uh, third-party data consolidators because they may actually see that that is the same person. With, and if you track by credit card, you can probably pull that together. Um, but a lot of retailers couldn't. Uh, if, you, if they have a card, like a Kohl's credit card, then it's pretty easy. We did that with the Bay back in 1994. Okay, so uh, then he gets into lists, and uh, it's an excellent article. Go to WDMA.org, subscribe, and you can get the show notes all marked up for free. I don't know what deterministic matching techniques are. I'd like to know from Eric um but matching is matching you can determine what you can determine i know what determinism is cuz i have a masters in philosophy have a great day eric i'd like to hear from you on the on those two ideas what is deterministic matching techniques and what was the other one up here uh the fire of pixels what is what is a pixel fire <laughs> bye bye